So as we've been doing for the last several weeks, I want to invite you once again to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We've been unwrapping for these last several weeks the teaching of the Apostle Paul regarding tools, friends, that God has made available to you and I to enable us to engage and to overcome a spiritual enemy called Satan. Now, if this is your first time, or maybe this is your first time in a long time since we've begun this series, um, I want you to know that we're in the midst of a series titled, The Weapons of Spiritual Warfare. And what we're doing is we're identifying how we are able to overcome wickedness. The reality, friends, is that wickedness exists, evil exists, and there is an evil one, and then there are evil forces that are behind wickedness, that are driving wickedness and are stirring the hearts of men, playing up playing upon our, our, our sinful appetites and our desires to cause us to live uh, in a way that is not pleasing to God. We, we see wickedness all around us and there are times where we experience wickedness or we witness wickedness and we think to ourselves, what can we do to effect change? I mean, we, sometimes we may feel helpless. We may feel like there's very little we can do to make a difference. And yet the Bible makes it clear to you and I that even though there is wickedness that abounds, friends, God has given us the tools to overcome wickedness. We don't have to give in. We don't have to bow to it. We don't have to submit to it. We can overcome it through the blood of the Lamb. And so today I've titled today's message, Overcoming Distraction. And there are three questions that I think each one of us should endeavor to ask. Why? Because as we're going to read, the Bible makes it clear to you and I that our struggle against this spiritual enemy is something that all of us share. And the questions are these. Number one, how is distraction displayed in my life? Number two, how does distraction hurt my walk with Christ and my witness for Christ? And then of course, how can I overcome distractions? And the reason that these questions are important or necessary for us to ask ourselves is because this enemy with whom you and I are engaged in a daily struggle against The Bible tells us that he is fully committed to discrediting the God who has mercifully reached down to save you and I and has made us his children through our knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, God wants you and I to know that no matter how fierce this struggle might be, and there are times where the struggle seems very fierce. There are times where the enemy seems to be winning. There are times where the enemy might seem to be overwhelming us and we feel like, man, God, where are you? I feel like the enemy is just has me in this vice grip and I can't seem to get out of this. No matter how fierce this struggle may get, we can be absolutely confident in this promise, friends, that because we are in Christ, because we are in Christ, let me say it again, because we are in Christ, we have everything. Everybody say everything. The Bible says you have everything that you will need to engage the enemy and to overcome the enemy and his influence in our world today. And so I want us to read Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 10. Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Why? Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore, Therefore, Paul says, in light of all of this, in light of the circumstance that we are to uh, that we that we are we are engaged in, he says we are to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, we may be able to stand our ground. And after we've done everything, Paul says to stand. 
And so beginning in verse 14, he says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And then in verse 16, Paul says, In in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Before I touch on verse 16 today, I want to quickly recap what we talked about these last several weeks. Because in the previous three weeks, we've identified three areas or three ways that the Bible says you and I can overcome wickedness. In week one, we said that the way we overcome wickedness, as Paul implies here, is that we are to seek God's view of truth. When, God, when Paul tells us to put on this belt of truth, what he's saying to us is that we are to embrace, we are to pursue, we are to seek God's definition of truth. We're not to look to ourselves, we're not to define for ourselves what truth means for us. We're not to look to culture or to look to society for what truth means. We are to look to God because He's the only one who is in the position to define what truth is. Why? Because God does not change. Yes, I may feel a certain way today and then I feel different tomorrow based on the different circumstances that I'm faced with. But God never changes. He does not change in His character. He does not change in His essence. He does not change who He is. God doesn't love you less yesterday than He loves you today. God won't love you more tomorrow than He loves you now. God never changes. And because He never changes, we can hold on to everything He says and be confident that whatever comes out of God's mouth, God's mouth is true. So if we are to engage this enemy, this spiritual enemy, we are to seek God's view of truth. But not only that, second week we said we are to treat obedience like a safety net. What does that mean? Peter, Paul said that we are to put on what he calls this breastplate of righteousness. That breastplate of righteousness represents the protection that God provides you and I against the attacks of the enemy. Now what better way for us to defend ourselves against the enemy's attacks than when we obey God's word and we treat God's word and our obedience to God's word as that safety net that invites God's protection against the enemy. I mentioned this in in the the week we covered this this aspect of the armor of God. That that God is obligated to, 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 to respond to his word. God will not speak a word and then not act on it. God will not make a promise and then not fulfill it. So when God gives you not his word and he invites us to obey his word, we can be confident that if we do our part to obey, God will do his part in backing up his word in our lives. So obedience becomes, as it were, a safety net to protect us from the attack of the enemy. In the week, the third week, we learned that we are to, Paul talked about the, having our feet ready uh, with the gospel of peace. And we identified that what it means is that we must be ready to share Christ. That Christ has positioned you and I because we are in Christ, because we are his followers, we are his children. That he has put, put us in a position where we have an opportunity. We will always have an opportunity to share with others why we have placed our hope in Jesus Christ. And here's the truth. There are people that you know, people you do not know, people that you see every now and then, people you work with, people that are your neighbors. Maybe people that are your family, people that are your friends. There are all kinds of people that you and I engage with on a daily basis and and they are looking for hope. They are searching for hope. They are looking for answers to their struggles and their problems and their difficulties. And they don't know where to go. They've tried so many different places and it's left them feeling lost and empty. And and there are many who make make, make the drastic choice of deciding that they're going to end it all. Why? Because they feel like there's no hope in sight. But here's the thing, friends. You and I have a message. 
You and I have a truth that we are called to bring to bear on the lives of others around us. Why? Because that same truth has changed my life and it has changed your life, has it not? And so because God has changed you and I, because you and I have experienced this blessed hope, and we have this hope that is rooted in this knowledge of Christ, we have an obligation, friends, and we must be ready to always share that hope. And in doing so, exercise that position of advantage that God has given us against the enemy's influence. Today, I want us to focus on the fourth element of the armor of God as Paul describes in verse 16. Paul presents to you and I another tool in the arsenal of our fight against Satan, and he calls this the shield of faith. Now, according to a lot of military historians, shields served as a type of personal armor that was used to intercept attacks, either by stopping a long-range projectile, projectile such as a, a, an arrow, a spear that was thrown from a distance, or even the shields were typically used to redirect uh, a hit from a short-range weapon such as a sword or a battle axe or a club. Now, even though the shield throughout history has taken on different shapes and sizes, its purpose as a defensive tool used to ward off or to repel attack has never changed. But yet in Paul's words, I want you to notice something that's interesting about what he says. On the surface, it doesn't appear that Paul's use of the word shield lines up with what a shield is typically meant to be used for. And the reason I say that is because Paul uses a word in the scripture called extinguish. Everybody say extinguish. Now, whenever we think of the word extinguish, the first thing that comes to my mind is a fire extinguisher. Am I the only one? I'm thinking of a fire, right? I'm thinking of something that needs to be put out, something that needs to be snuffed out, right? And yet Paul says that the shield of faith is used to do what? To extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And the fact that he used this word extinguish, it, 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 it piqued my interest because here's the thing. Here's what I know about God. Every word in the scripture is intentional. It's not a, well, he could have used a different word. He just felt like using this word, so that's why he wrote it in there. No, every word in the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit makes no mistakes. So there has to be a reason why Paul used the word extinguish. Even though, again, in my mind, that word doesn't seem to fit with what a shield would typically be used for. So I started to do some digging. I started asking the question, why did Paul choose to use the word extinguish? Why didn't he just simply say block? Why didn't he simply say keep away? Why didn't he simply say ward off to describe what the shield of faith does? Why would he use this word in reference to something that usually we would, 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 would think in terms of putting something out like a fire? And so here's what I discovered. First of all, I wanted to see what other translations, Bible translations used as a word instead of extinguish. I ended up looking up 57 different Bible translations. Some of you are thinking, 57? Pastor John, you have that much time? Yes. <laughs> It's that important to me. I, I, I looked at 52, 57 different translations, and, and here's the breakdown. Six translations used the word, instead of extinguish, put out. Seven translations used the word, interestingly enough, stop. Fourteen of those translations actually used the word extinguish. Thirty translations used the word quench. Thirty. More than half of those translations used the word quench. So, in other words, literally 90%, or what am I saying, more than 90% of, of these 57 translations use the word in reference to something that is being doused, smothered, snuffed out, or suffocated. Again, when you think of a shield, you don't think of a shield as being used to snuff stuff out or to douse something. That's not what a shield is meant to be used for, at least that's what we think. 
But when you look in the original Greek text, from which the New Testament scriptures are translated into English, the Greek word for extinguish is called sebene. I think I'm pronouncing properly. I'm still working on my Greek. Forgive me. Um, but when you think of the Greek word, the Greek word from which we get the word extinguish, again, we don't typically think of a shield as something to be used to do any of those things. We don't think of it to be used as something to extinguish or to quench. And again, as I said to you, there is no accident, I believe, in why the Holy Spirit prompted Paul to use this word. So I decided to do more digging. And part of my, part of my, my interest was drawn primarily to the phrase, flaming arrows. Paul says that the enemy, the evil one, shoots, what, what does he call, flaming arrows at us. Now the Greek translation for flaming is puroon. Which, might, which you might be interested to know means to kindle, to ignite, to glow, or to refine. But these are not the only translations that were provided. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 tells us that the purpose for putting on the full armor of God is so that you and I can stand against the devil's schemes. When you look at the definition of the word puro, puro actually means to be inflamed with either anger, to be inflamed with grief, or to be inflamed with lust. So there's this picture that Paul paints for us that when the enemy is fighting these, uh, firing these flaming arrows at us, that his intent is to inflame or incite us or to incite emotions and desires within us that are, that are not in keeping with God's will for our lives, that are not consistent with God's will for our lives. So again, when you look at what verse 11 says, that Satan... That, 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 that we put on the full armor of God so we can stand against Satan's schemes. That word schemes is very important because that word schemes in the Greek is methodea. It's, it's the word from which we get the word method. This word is used to describe the practice of deception. So if Satan is shooting at us these flaming arrows of flaming arrows at you and I and we are called to use the shield of faith to deflect these arrows what we discover is this that at its very core the practice of deception is rooted friends in the effort to distract from the truth so in other words Satan's Satan's um, um, strategy for for trying to get you and I to fall against his onslaught is to distract us and how does he distract us by turning our attention away from the truth in week one, we talk about the fact that Satan is a liar. The Bible says, Jesus said in John 8, 44, that Satan is the father of lies. And that his strategy, in fact, one translation said that, that, that the only language he speaks is to tell lies. So what Paul then is actually calling to our attention is this fact, that Satan's primary tactic in deceiving people is by distracting you and I from what God has declared to be true. We see this play out in, the, in, in, in Genesis. When the Bible says God gave Adam and Eve clear instructions about what they were to eat and not eat. And the Bible says Satan came into the picture and what did Satan do? He, 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 he threw a distraction at Eve and he suggested to Eve that maybe the reason why God didn't want him to eat that fruit was not what he had stated. And that there was some other reason why they could eat that fruit that God was trying to keep them from. And the Bible says she looked at the tree and she saw that the fruit on that tree was desirable for eating. And she took that fruit and she bit into it. And the moment she and her husband did, their eyes were opened. Satan had succeeded in distracting them by deviating them from the truth so that they could believe a lie. And for our part, friends, it is important for us to understand why distraction is such a favorite tool of Satan. 
Number one, Satan loves to distract. Why? Because in distracting, he obscures our view of what matters most to God. Satan wants you and I to, 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 to ignore the things that God cares about, to ignore the things that God says that we must pay attention to. Not only that, but Satan wants to drive you and I to, to apathy concerning the potential impact of sin. Satan wants us to believe that sin is not that serious. Satan wants us to believe that, that yeah, there are some sins that are bad, but then there are some sins that are not that bad. And the reality is, is all sin separates us from God. All sin is destructive. No matter, how, no matter how minor it may seem in our eyes, it is not minor to God. And Satan loves to distract because in distracting us, he can erode our reliance on God. If Satan can get us to think that we don't need God, that we can live without him, we can function without him, then he has won. If Satan can get us to focus on something other than God or other than what God cares about, if he can get us to become apathetic, callous, indifferent, or passive about sin, passive about the damage that sin can do to our lives and the prospects of, of our relationship with Christ, if he can erode our reliance on God so that we can think of God as someone to be aware of rather than someone to be trusted, then he would have succeeded, friends, in rendering you and I vulnerable and powerless to stand against him. I told you this in the beginning of the series, Satan is a strategist. Nothing he does, he does by accident. He is intentional about everything he does. The good news, friends, is this. Even though Satan is this brilliant strategist, we do not have to give in to his deception. We can stand up to him and we can overcome him. And Paul says the way that we do that is by arming ourselves with faith in Christ as our shield. And so the point I want to make this morning is simply this. We overcome Satan, friends, by keeping Christ as our daily focus. Christ has to be in the forefront of our hearts and our minds if we are to overcome the enemy. Because the moment he can distract us from focusing on Christ, then Satan will win. Hebrews 12 verse 1 to verse 2 has the answer to how we overcome Satan by keeping the Christ as our focus. I love how Paul puts it. He compares this journey, this walk with Christ as a race. He compares it to a race and he says that as, as a runner runs, that we are to, in verse 1, run this race with perseverance because this is a race that has been marked out for us. And in running this race, he says in verse 2, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, the Bible says he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sits today at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible presents Christ to you and I as the one that we must be focused on if we are to overcome the enemy because it's not an issue of, of if he will, he, will, he will try to attack, it's a matter of when. And in any given day, at any given moment, Satan is shooting these arrows of deception, these arrows of distraction to take, us, to take our focus off of Christ so that he can render us vulnerable and powerless and he can overpower our lives. But, here, but this morning, I want to quickly share with you three ways that we are able to, based on the scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, keep Christ as our daily focus. And the first one is this. If you and I are, are, are intent on keeping Christ as our focus so that we can overcome the enemy's deception, we must let faith, friends, be an ongoing attitude and not just a single act. We must learn to look at faith as more than just a decision that I made in a particular moment in time. And realize that faith is a daily decision to follow Christ. It is a daily decision to live for Him. Paul, from my favorite scripture, Romans 12 verse 1 and 2, Paul says that we are to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. 
When we think of the word sacrifice, we think of it in terms of something that is that is being laid, that is being that is being surrendered. That is, it's it, 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 in a sense we're saying, God, not my will, not my wants, not my, not 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 me having my way, but I, I'm I'm giving up all of this to embrace the way and will that you have for my life because I believe it is better than what I could ever come up with. We must allow faith to be a daily, ongoing attitude. Every single day we are making daily decisions for Jesus. Every single day we are making decisions to follow Him, to live for Him. You know, choice by choice, moment by moment, we are choosing to prioritize how we respond to life based on how He would want us to respond. It's not simply a matter of what I want to do or what I think is best for me. Is it consistent? Is it aligned? Is it in keeping with the will of God for your life? And part of Satan's distraction, remember I told you, is that he wants us to think we don't need God. He wants us to think we can do this by ourselves. See, there's a tendency to think that Christianity is all about proving to God that I'm worthy follower of His. And that's not what God is asking for. He's not asking you to prove anything to Him. But what He's asking you to do is to be submitted to Him. That I be submitted to Him. And, and for us to do that, we must keep Christ as the focus of our hearts and our lives every single day. Faith must be an ongoing attitude. It cannot be a, sin, a single act from which we can easily disconnect ourselves. Not only that, friends, but we must also let Christ be our example and the perfecter of enduring faith. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says. He says that we are to look to Jesus. He's the pioneer and he's the perfecter. What what do those two words mean? Pioneer essentially means he started this. This race, this journey that you and I are called to run, he started the race. And the word perfecter means that not only did he start the race, but he finished that race. And so because he started the race and he finished that race, if we want to be able to start this race right and run this race right and finish this race right, then we need to look to him. He has to be our example. It cannot be, again, be simply us trying to do what we think we should do, but it's about us looking to Him and allowing Christ to be our example and the perfect of our faith. When I was a young person, I remember there was a phrase that was going around back in the early 90s, the mid to late 90s, uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? In fact, they had bracelets. Some people wore t-shirts, some people had neck chains. I mean, it was, it was, it was this big thing. Everybody was like, yeah, yeah, look at my bracelet, man. It looks really nice, right? I mean, let me see yours. And it, but, but here's the thing. The, the challenge that we, 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 we overlooked at that time was that a very important question that we all should be asking ourselves every single day had become nothing more than a fashion statement. It had become nothing more than a simple slogan. And that's, that's the tendency that sometimes we can have in, in the Christian faith is that we tend, to, we tend to regard certain things as almost a fad. When, when it's meant to be a lifestyle, when it's meant to be part of our, our worldview, part of our thinking. And again, when we are called to follow Christ, the Bible says we are to make Him our example. And not, not that we're saying that we are Christ or that we can be like Him in the sense of, 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 of living up to who He was, you know, His essence, the, the fact that He is God. But, but the reality is that He has left for us an example to follow. And it, it is an example that will, that, will, that will leave a lasting impact in our lives, a positive impact in our lives if we will embrace it. And it's not an easy example to follow. I mean, it, it, it is an example that, that, is, that is filled with all kinds of challenges. It is an example that is filled with, 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 the, with the decision to, to die to ourselves, to die to our way of, wanting, of, 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 of things going and, and wanting to have things go the way we want. If we're to follow Christ, then we have to be willing to follow His example. And be willing to give ourselves completely as He did. 
So the scripture says, again, not only must faith be an ongoing attitude, not only must Christ be our example, but here's the lesson before we close. I want to share to you, share with you, and this is very important. We need to look forward to the perfection of God's promise. How? By acting on it today. What I love about God's word is this. God isn't saying to us, let me prove myself to you first before you act on my, on my word. God is saying to us, act on my word and let me prove myself to you. Obedience is required, friends. I mean, think about Abraham. I refer to him a lot because I believe he is probably one of the most powerful examples in the scripture. God says to him, Abraham, pick up your family and move. Abraham didn't wait for God to explain all of the logistics and to tell him where he was going and what he was going to get there and what kind of challenges he might face if he gets there and what to do about Abraham simply got up and he did what? He moved. He obeyed God. Why? Because he took God at his word. He didn't need God to prove himself. He trusted that God was who he says he is, that God would do what he says he would do. And so he just did what he was responsible for. So you and I, friends, if we are to keep Christ as our focus, then we have to be committed, friends, to... To to act on the promises that he has laid at our feet today, trusting that one day those promises will be fulfilled in our lives. Why? Because the one who has made that promise is not a liar. He will do what he says he's going to do. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Knowing what he was going to experience, knowing what he was going to go through. The Bible says that Jesus endured the cross. Why? Because he knew what was coming on the other side. He knew what was coming on the other side. And so if if our Savior can experience hardship and face hardship and give himself totally for our sake to hardship because he knew that there was victory on the other side of his obedience, friends, then what are we afraid of? God is saying to you and I, act on my word and trust that I will bring to pass what I've said I will do in your life. That's how we keep Christ in front of us. That's how we keep Him as our focus. And can I tell you this? When we are walking in dependence on the Lord and we are committed to pleasing Him in every aspect of our lives, friends, the enemy has no shot. Because what we have done is we've, we've rendered His lies, we've rendered his, 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 his distractions ineffective in our lives. But we have to learn to keep our focus on Jesus. I'll close by asking this question. What is the enemy using to distract you today? Because here's the thing, we all have to be willing to search our own hearts and say, God, reveal to me areas of my own life where I need to grow. As I've always said, we are a work in progress, amen? God is not finished with you and I, and there's work that God still desires to do in us. And, and part, of, part of growing, into, uh, you know, the, growing into, into the grace that He makes available to you and I is that we are learning to ask ourselves those hard questions. God, what areas of my life am I allowing the enemy to bring distraction? What areas of my life have I allowed the enemy to, to rob my focus off of Christ so that now I'm focusing on that which is not beneficial to me spiritually? And it doesn't necessarily have to be sin. There may be, there may be sin. If it's sin, the Holy Spirit is inviting you to, to renounce that sin, to confess it, to, to walk away from it. But, but it's not always about sin. Sometimes it's just, maybe, maybe it's just uh, something that you think you should do and yet you've not really sought God, God's direction about it. And, and you need to know what God's heart is concerning that issue. And, and you need to make that important step. It doesn't matter what it may be this morning, but, but what is it that is keeping us from being fully focused on Christ? Maybe you're going through a struggle right now. And you're discouraged because of what you're going through. And you, maybe you're asking yourself, God, I mean, when am I going to get past this? When am I going to get out of this situation? God wants you to know He has not forgotten you. He, he's not left you. You are not alone in this struggle. He is with you. 
But he wants you to hold on to him. He wants you to keep your eyes focused on him. He wants you to keep your eyes fixed on him. He, he, he wants you to learn to tune out the voices that are calling for your attention. Telling you, no, turn this way, turn this way. No, go this way, no, do this. God is asking you and I to by his spirit be tuned into him. And to allow him to speak to us. So that we will hear his voice and we will follow him. Because God will never lead you and I astray. And so on our way to heaven, I just want to encourage you this morning. Let us all be committed today, every single day, to saying, God, I want to truly be focused on you. And whatever distractions may exist, God, reveal those distractions to me and help me to, to turn away from those distractions so that the enemy doesn't have a foothold in my life because I want to be tuned into what you want for me, for, for my life. Amen? I want to invite you to bow heads with me this morning as we pray. I'll be very honest with you, this, this series has has done a number in my own life. I'm grateful for the revelation, the insight that, that the Holy Spirit has provided. And I'm grateful for the opportunity that God has given me to be able to share the same with you. And my prayer has been that every week as, as this message is going forth, that you're encouraged, that you're challenged. Perhaps to ask those hard questions that we all need to be asking. Not that we're asking of ourselves, but that, but that we're asking ourselves so that God might reveal truth to us and we might respond to Him and say, God, help me. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you may be going through today, but, but you, you're willing to admit, Pastor John, I am struggling right now. I'm struggling. I'm discouraged. There's a lot of negatives going on in my life, in my world, and I'm, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. And, and I've tried, I've tried the world's way. I've tried it my way, but I realized that, that, that I have to learn to just let go and trust you fully. And God is inviting you to do that today. Maybe you're, you're a child of God, but, but again, you're willing to admit that you're struggling and that you need to, you need to turn your focus back to Christ. There's no better opportunity than now to do that. Because God is waiting for you. You're his son. You're his daughter. He wants to help you. He wants to, he wants to give you grace that is, that is sufficient for you. That will help you through your weakness so that you learn to rely on God's strength. But maybe you're here this morning, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, friends. There's a lot of things this world offers you and I, but I can tell you this. Nothing that this world offers us compares to what Christ offers you and I. Because what the world offers us is here today and it's gone tomorrow. But what Christ offers us is eternal. The Bible says that because of our sin... A sin for which you and I deserve to be punished. Where God had every right to say, you know what, I want nothing to do with you because I am perfect, I'm holy, I'm righteous, and you're not. And God, the Bible says, did the opposite. He extended love to us. And He didn't just simply extend love to us, but friends, He gave Himself for us. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins, so that by His death on the cross, He might pay for our sins. And, because, and, when we, and when we put our faith and trust in Christ, believing that what He did on the cross is sufficient to make us right with God, the Bible says we are forgiven, we are given a new identity, friends. We become sons and daughters of God. And we have hope. We can face life with the confidence that God is with us, that God will care for us, God will direct us, God will guide us. We're never alone. And you have an opportunity today to make that decision. I can't make that decision for you. I want you to, to know Christ, but I can't make that decision for you. It has to be your choice. But understand this, God is waiting for you. He's waiting for you. And He's brought you to this point, And He wants you to make a decision for Him.
to allow him into your life so that he can begin to do what you cannot do on your own. And so with every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to invite you, if you're here and you say, Pastor John, please pray with me. I want Jesus today. I want to follow Christ. I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. The power is not in these words, friends. The power is in the sincerity of the heart that speaks these words. Bible makes it clear that if you are sincere, if you are truly sincere, God will meet you. God will meet you because God doesn't play games when it comes to eternity. He wants you to know him and you can know him today. I want you to pray this prayer with me if it is your intent today to follow Jesus and to begin this journey with Christ. And to encourage those who are praying this prayer, I want to invite everyone in the audience to pray this prayer with us to encourage those who are praying to embrace Christ today as Savior and Lord. Pray with me this morning. Dear Jesus, I thank you today for the opportunity you are giving me to make this right with you. I come to you right now and I acknowledge that I am a sinner. That Lord, my sin separates me from you. But God, I also thank you this morning for revealing to me through your word that you love me too much to leave me in my sin. That you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross so that through his death and by his resurrection, my sins are not only paid for, but I have eternal life when I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And so I come to you now and I invite you to come into my heart. I confess all my sin and I turn my back to a life of sin. And through the help of your Holy Spirit, who will live in me from this day forward, I am committed to living for you, God. Help me to know you. Help me to walk with you. Help me to become like you. And may my life never be the same because I put my trust in you today. Thank you for saving me, God. And thank you for setting me on a new course, a journey that I will walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.